You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, all right. Well, welcome. All right, who is ready for Christmas? I feel like that's a lot of dads being like, yeah, we're ready. Like, what a, we have nothing to do. It's time off work. Moms are like, we're not ready. Women, thank you so much for all your gift shopping and gift giving. Men, thank you for being you. Uh, oh, man. Uh, man, I'm excited. Excited for Christmas. Um, having kids has definitely changed Christmas for sure as you grow up and you have kids. I mean, so much fun to watch them just enjoy the holidays as you go through. Uh, we have this uh, book that opens up and has a pop out uh, Christmas tree. Sorry, I'm feeding back a lot up here. Um, this pop-up Christmas tree, but then like it's an advent calendar. So we go through and we read through the story of Christmas and then the ornaments that they hang on this tree are ornaments that resemble each step of the way throughout the Old Testament to leading up to Jesus. Um, and it's just a really cool opportunity that we have just to sit with our kids and walk them through what it means to, um, to understand scriptures from front to back where like, the Bible didn't just start in the New Testament, but there's an entire Old Testament that, that gives proof to the person of Jesus, that points to Jesus. And then the whole New Testament is about Jesus, and, and that's what we're about to celebrate. Um, on December 25th, our world, our world is going to stop. I don't think sometimes we realize how significant that is. Target closes. Publix, they close, right? Like, I mean, like these, these major, major massive organizations shut their doors to remember something, to celebrate something. If we think back thousands of years ago, we, we see that we can talk about St. Nick, we can maybe drive around and look at the pretty lights. I don't know if anybody in the house with these amazing lights. You can go through this neighborhood where everybody, almost everybody, dresses up their house with these amazing lights. We eat yummy food, open up presents, but without Jesus, there is no Christmas. Without Jesus, there is no Christmas. Jesus is the gift of Christmas. So the food, the lights, the, the presents, like all of that pales into comparison for the birth of God. Like, I don't know if we can even wrap our minds around. We try, but we can't wrap our minds around the fact that the perfect, holy God who has lived infinitely in all of eternity for all perfection for some reason, wrapped himself in human flesh and subjected himself to be born as a baby. Didn't, didn't all of a sudden appear as a king, like as, as a maybe 30-year-old, buff, you know, good-looking, strong, powerful leader who just comes in and takes the world by storm, but actually comes in the form of a helpless baby 
to be nursed by his mom, to be born in a stable, not a palace, to be laid not in a comfy crib, but in a food trough. For you and for me, we can't take Jesus out of Christmas. And our culture, because of the work of the devil, has tried to remove Jesus from Christmas. And so they throw all of these other things in there, like trees and lights and food and presents. And, and what's the new hotness this year to get your kids, right? Everybody runs to the store and they're out. And then it's a feeding frenzy on eBay. Like that's, that's what we, we've created this culture to where we think that, that that's important. When in the end, the gift that we receive at Christmas is a person, not a present, not a cake. His name is Jesus. And so it's not just Christmas. It's all of life. I mean, we see in John chapter 1, in him was life. And life was the light of men. We don't experience breathing in and out. We don't experience the goodness that the things that this world has to offer. We can't experience those things without Jesus because he is life. The Bible says that he breathes the breath of life into us that in him, that he was life. He created all things in him and through him and by him and for him, all things were created. He is life. But do we even see life that way? I mean, without Jesus, there is no life. And so if we just begin to supplement Christmas with Jesus, don't you think that that would be the same in life when we begin to supplement life with Jesus? that Jesus is kind of this afterthought. We go through our lives, we work, we live, we play, and then Jesus just kind of becomes this thing that happens once in a while, maybe on a Sunday, maybe when we get together with some of our friends, maybe when we turn on Way FM. We just kind of supplement Jesus into our lives. He's not the reason we live. He just becomes something that we add into our lives. And if we look at Scripture, that's not the way God created us to be. And parents, if the only time our kids hear about Jesus is in a church setting, I want you to think about this. This is hard. When I was writing this down on my paper, I was like, man, this is hitting me right here. If the only time that my kids hear about Jesus is in this church setting, I'm failing to disciple them. I'm the primary disciple maker in my kids' lives. Not our team, who is awesome, by the way. Many of you serve on our kids' team, do an amazing job discipling our kids and loving our kids and teaching them about Jesus. But if the only time they hear about Jesus is when they come here, I'm failing to do what God has called me to do, which is to lead my kids into the presence of Jesus. So if my kids never see me on my knees praying, if my kids never see me opening up this word, if my wife doesn't see that, I'm failing to disciple my family. I can't supplement Jesus in whenever I want. He is life. So let's paint a picture real quick of heaven because I think sometimes we, as we enter into this passage, we're in this series called The Promise and, and this series, we've been walking with the Israelites. So the Israelites are God's chosen people in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. They were in captivity they were being oppressed, they were enslaved, and God takes them out of captivity and brings them to a place called the promised land, something that he had promised thousands of years beforehand. 
to Abraham. And so he says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt into the promised land. And we've taken this journey with the Israelites through the wilderness and all the things that they've experienced, the power of God and what they experienced while they were walking through the wilderness. And now we're kind of ending the near of Exodus in Exodus chapter 33. And, and before we dive in, I want to give us a picture of heaven because Moses says something to God in Exodus 33 that I think we really need to ponder and think about for our own lives. Because I think when we begin to supplement Jesus in, and we begin to just kind of live life here, and then Jesus is kind of here, and then we kind of like just either pull that into here or just kind of dabble over here for a little bit, and then and we kind of segregate and separate our lives from the gospel and from Jesus and all those things, I think we have to understand that what Moses says in Exodus 33 is monumental to how you and I experience life together. So if we have a picture of heaven in our mind, what we know about heaven and what we see in scripture is uh, 1 Philippians 3, 20 and 21. This is a, a promise that I'm really excited about. We get a glorious, glorified body. Anybody want a glorious, glorified body right now? Right? Anybody feeling like aches and pains and hurts and you're, you're sitting there and you're just, man, like things hurt. We, we experience significant pain in this world because of, of health, right? We, there's, there's cancer and COVID and all these things that we experience. And so life is fragile. And scripture says that when we get to heaven, we will have this glorified body where we will no longer experience sickness and pain and hurt and even death. And then what else do we see? Revelation 21. People from all nations, you know, in our culture and society today, uh, segregation and, and um, race tensions are huge. And it, it's not the way God has created us to be. Like, we are all his children, made in his image. No matter what race, skin color, nation, and the Bible in Revelation 21 says, all nations, all skin colors, all cultures will come together and be worshiping Jesus for all of eternity. That's what we see in heaven, and we should celebrate that. And we should, as the church, we should, we should resemble that. We should desire that, to have all nations be coming together to worship Jesus together. We see that there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. There will be this city of pure gold adorned with jewels. But if Jesus is not there, would we still want to go there? All those things are amazing. And all those things are something that we get to look forward to. But if there was a promise for us to have all of those things and Jesus was not present, would we still want to go there? And I think for many people in our culture and in our society, one, they don't even think about that. But two, they just want the stuff. That's why on earth, that's why for humanity, we worship the creation rather than the creator. Why? Because the stuff is nice. The stuff is fun. We can enjoy the stuff. But without Jesus, it's meaningless. So why would I want to go to a place where all of my pain, hurt, uh, addiction, all this stuff is gone, but Jesus is not present? If Jesus is the gift, if he's what I long for, if He is who I have relationship with. And so we're going to enter into Exodus 33, and we have to understand that Heaven or the things of this earth, they're not our reward. That's why David in Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom do I have in heaven but you, O Lord? And so, if you have a Bible, Exodus 33, we read verses 1 through 14. 
If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the aisles uh, as well as on the tables. I want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. It's so important that we do that, that we get into the habit, um, whether it's on our phone or tablet or, or in hardback, softback. Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it, and I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. That's huge right there. Go to the land that I've promised you. The land, the promised land, the land that is going to be flowing with milk and honey, all of these things. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Let's pause real quick. God just brought the Israelites out of captivity. They were, for 400-something years, were in captivity in Egypt, being oppressed, enslaved, brings them out of there, parts a sea for them, gives them water out of nowhere, a rock, gives them manna out of the sky, food, parts the Jordan River. I mean, he's doing all these things for them as they are walking through this wilderness. I mean, he, one thing after another, he is defeating armies for them, he is protecting them, he's leading them by a cloud and a pillar of fire, and then he tells Moses, go up to the mountain. I have something I want to give you to help the people. This is what we talked about last week. The Ten Commandments. These, these things that will protect you. These things that will guide you. These things that will ultimately lead to your joy. Men, women, it's better for you not to sleep with your neighbor's wife. Better for you not to murder one another. Not to steal one another. From one another. I mean, these are for our joy, for our good. And while Moses is up there, the people are looking around going, oh, Moses is gone. We don't know what to do. I got an idea. Let's take all of our jewelry, melt it together, make a calf and worship that and say that that's what brought us through the wilderness. What? Like, it's like looking around this place and seeing all of the amazing work that has been done and all of the people who have had this blood, sweat, and tears put into this building to make it look the way it looks and me getting up here and being like, I really want to celebrate this podium. Let's, let's bow down and worship this podium. Let's clap it up for this podium because it did all the work that you see around you. It's just stupid. I know we're not supposed to say that. But it is. It doesn't make any sense. God moves over and over and over again. And they melt some gold together and make something and say, oh, this is what brought us through. This is what part, parted the sea. That's what's leading up to this point. So he's saying to Moses, you know what? Take these people. The one who I've done all these things for. And go to the promised land. I'm faithful. I'm going to fulfill my promise. But I'm not going to go with you. You know why? Because if I go with you, I'm going to ultimately destroy you. Because you're a stiff-necked people. Because God cannot look upon sin, and we're going to get to that. 
Verse 4. When the people heard this, finally, some sense they experienced. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. For if a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, each would stand at his tent door, and they would watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered into the tent, the pillar of cloud, this is what led them through the wilderness, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and they would worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and I have also found favor, you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Moses speaking to his friend, the holy God, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too this nation is your people. So now this is Moses pleading with God. And Moses said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's huge. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not, um, it is not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. So here's what we're seeing here. God says, take the people. I'm going to fulfill my promise and bring you to the land that I have promised you. He said, I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people, a sinful people. Moses says, man, if you don't come with us, there is no reason for us to even go. Having all the stuff, the milk and the honey, and even the fulfillment of the promise that you had given us hundreds and thousands of years earlier, it's not worth it if you're not there. Do we feel that way in life? That we will not go anywhere if God is not present there? That we will not desire anything if God is not present there? That we won't even desire heaven if God is not present there? Is God the gift that we treasure? Is he what we want? And this is what we're seeing here. So we're just gonna break this down. I'm gonna go through this super quick. Verses one through three. Here's what we see. If you have um, one of those sheets that, that we printed out for you, there's some fill-ins there just for you A-type personalities. So here we go. First thing we see, God has a plan for his people. Well, maybe not. I'll tell you what the answer is. God has a plan for his people. Exodus 3. I am aware of their suffering. 
I have come down to rescue you. This is 40 years before this exact moment that Moses is engaging with God in Exodus 33. In Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I'm aware of the suffering. This is when Jesus is talking, or God is talking to Moses in the burning bush. So Moses, or God appears in a burning bush to speak to Moses. This is before Moses goes and the plagues happen in uh, Egypt. And he says, I have heard the people suffering. I'm going to send them relief. I'm going to take them out of here. This is a promise 40 years beforehand. There's a promise to Abraham hundreds of years before that in Genesis 15, 13, where he says, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God has a plan for his people. Think about this where, like, I mean, this is Abraham now. This is now rewind hundreds of years earlier than Moses and what we're reading here in Exodus 33. He says, I'm going to make you a people that is going to be my people. He didn't even have a son yet. Yet he said, I'm, all of your descendants are going to be my people. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. This is what he says in ex, uh, Genesis 15, 13. They're going to be sojourners in a land. They're going to wander the wilderness. They are going to be enslaved in Egypt. They will be afflicted for 400 years. He said that to Abraham before it even happened. God has a plan. He knows what's going on. In Exodus 15, or Genesis 15, 18. It says, so the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. Talking about the promised land hundreds of years later. Do you ever feel like you read a promise of God in scripture, but yet you haven't experienced it fully in your life? God always keeps his promises. God has a plan. And so we see that as God's keeping his promise, you know that um, one, of the, one theologian, uh, Herbert Lockyer, he went through and he read all of scripture and he was able to find 7,147 promises that God makes to man. Over 7,000 promises. I hope and pray you fact check that. I hope you pick up your Bible and you read this and you fact check that. Because those promises are promises that he gives to you. There are 7,000 promises, most of which have already been fulfilled in history and all of which have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so, we see that God has a plan, but he always keeps his promise. When we look throughout the Old Testament, we're seeing these promises fulfilled. So even in Exodus 33, when we're seeing uh, God say to Moses, go into this land, this promised land, that's a promise that he's fulfilling and keeping that he had made to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. How cool is that? And so we see that God has a plan. He will always keep his promise. But we also see in this passage that there is a consequence to sin. And I don't think that we ultimately um, receive that or even desire that or know that about Scripture. But there's always a consequence to sin. When my girls disobey, there's a consequence. When we do something at work that is wrong, there usually is a consequence. When things happen in our marriage, when we, when we wrong our spouse, there is a consequence. There is ramifications and so there is a consequence to our sin. He says, if I go with you, I will destroy you on the way. Why? Because God hates sin. Sin has caused a separation between God and us. And what is the punishment for sin? Romans. The punishment for sin is death. See, there's a promise that we see in Genesis where God says, there is a tree in the garden 
if you eat of this tree, you will die. And they eat of the tree. And the promise is fulfilled. Then death now comes. One of the most horrific and horrible things any of us will ever experience in this entire world, and I know that we have some currently even mourning right now, death of a loved one. And those things break our hearts because we really deeply, truly love one another. We love our family. We love our kids. We love our spouses. But the consequence to sin is death. And we continually, over and over again, give ourselves to sin. We continually go back and eat the fruit that God says don't eat. There is a consequence to our sin. Why? Because we are a stiff-necked people, just like the people here. We are people who begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Evil desires, lust, and pride. I mean, I don't know about you, but those describe everything I deal with every single day. Evil desires, lust of eyes, pride of life, all of these things that we struggle with day in and day out are things that whittle away at our souls and continually bring separation between us and God. So there is a holy God who loves his creation that gives us life, and then we separate ourselves from God because of something called sin. We are born into this because of Adam and Eve. We all experience this. You can't look at me and say, I am without sin. One time we were uh, here and there was someone standing out in front of the uh, church over there and um, they were holding a sign that, that, that this church doesn't pre- preach the gospel or whatever. So I drove up and I was like, hey, like, what's going on? She's like, they preach that you can be saved and still be a sinner. And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> And she's like, once you're saved, you don't sin anymore. I'm like, what rock are you living under? I'm like, what? Like, I understand that the Bible says that when we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that when God looks upon us, we are holy and blameless before him in his eyes. But we are living something called life. And in life, we will struggle. In life, we will disobey. And so there is a consequence for our sin because humanity is a stiff-necked people. We will struggle with sin for the rest of our human lives. But the good news for each and every one of us is that we have a God that knows that. He knows us in our weakness. He knows us in our hopelessness, in the fact that we will begin to worship a creation rather than him. And so, all of humanity will have to come to the terms and understand that God loves his creation. Even though we are stiff-necked, even though we begin to form our own gods in our life, that there is a God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. In verse 11, what we see here is that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is a form of intimacy that God has with Moses. 
But then we fast forward to the New Testament. That is why God sends Jesus so that that relationship can be had with every single person that is alive. That, that every single person that who lives and breathes has an opportunity. We see in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life with him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. That's the good news of the gospel. Like, and I think sometimes because of our sin, we, we allow our sin to, to um, we allow our sin to drive this huge wedge between us and God. Do you ever sin and do something that you know is really wrong, and then you hear something in your voice that says, you probably should pray and confess this, and you probably should open up your Bible, and you probably should go and tell a brother, like the Bible says, right? All the things that the Bible says. But then you hear that voice that says, no, you shouldn't do that. God doesn't want to hear from you. God doesn't love you right now. God is mad at you. Like, you're not worthy to open up the Bible. You shouldn't pray. He's not going to listen to you. Does anybody ever experience any of that wrestling inside of you? Like, that is the furthest thing from the truth. That is the lie of the devil to tell you that God is wanting. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? Romans 8.1, one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, that um, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, conviction is different than condemnation. Conviction is something that the Holy Spirit does to us to draw us closer to God. Condemnation is a tool of the devil that he drives us from God. And so for us, when we feel that weight of our sin, it should make us run to the feet of Jesus. That's the only place we have life. And so you should allow your sin to fuel you to Jesus. When, when all of a sudden you break down and you sin and you, you give in to the temptation, that should cause you to fall on your feet and go to the God of grace who will give you mercy in your time of need. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why he sent Jesus, because he knew we were a stiff-necked people. He knew that the requirement to be in relationship with him was perfection. Do you know that? Do you know that for you to be in relationship with Jesus, you need to be perfect? Crickets. That's why he sent Jesus. Because you and I could never accomplish that. And what he requires of us is to surrender our white knuckling, trying to pull up our bootstraps and earn and get God's favor. And he put all of that on Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live. To die the death that we couldn't die. To raise again so that you and I will experience eternity with him because of Jesus. There is nothing good that you will ever accomplish in this life that will make God love you more. And here's good news. There is nothing bad that you have ever done in your entire life that will make God love you less. Because God loves you. And God wants a relationship with you. And all humanity will respond to who God says he is. All humanity will respond to who God says he is. No one's exempt from this. If you believe and you say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe that there's a God, you're still going to have to respond to this. The news that there is a God who loved you that sent a baby born of a virgin to grow up to be murdered on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to raise three days later, 
and to be completely, the, to create an opportunity, the only way, the only truth, the only life that we will ever have in a person, Jesus. And he says, believe. Believe. Surrender your life. Believe. Repent and believe. So all humanity is going to have to respond to who Jesus is. Verse 15. And he said to him, and this is Moses' response, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What is your response as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Is he a supplement? Is he an afterthought? Is he just something that you've kind of sprinkled into your life? You wake up, if you have time, after you hit the snooze button four times, to maybe read a verse, and today instead of listening to hard rock on the radio, you'll throw on Way FM because you didn't get enough time. Is it just something that you've sprinkled into your life, and, and anytime you're feeling down, you just put a little Jesus in there to make yourself feel better? Or is he truly your Lord and your Savior? Do you go to him for every single thing that you need? Do you sit with him like Moses sat with God face to face and open up his word and hear his voice and pray to him? This is why we need the Holy Spirit. I know I'm not capable of mustering up the ability to say, I'm just gonna spend all day in the presence of Jesus. That's why God sent us the Holy Spirit. I love that because God, when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the power and the authority and the ability to sit before God face to face and know him like a friend knows a friend. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. Men, God wants you. He wants you. He wants you to open up his word. He wants you to read his word. And he wants you to do his word. And men, we are failing at this. Women, you are smart, you are beautiful, you are amazing, you are hard workers. God wants to sit with you, and he wants you to open up his word, and he wants you to depend fully in him, not your abilities, and he wants you to know him. The gift that we get at Christmas is Jesus. We get a personal, intimate, real relationship with him. And yes, we are stiff-necked. And yes, we're going to mess it up. And yes, we're not going to be able to execute it perfectly. But that doesn't mean that we just throw our hands up in the air and say, well, I guess it's worthless. I guess it's meaningless. I'm never going to be able to do it. No, that's why God has given us the church. He's given us one another to say, hey, Ed, let's grab coffee. Hey, John, let's go out. Let's encourage one another as iron sharpens iron so one man may sharpen another. Let's go out, let's share, hey, I'm dealing with this stuff right now at work. I'm dealing with this stuff right now in my marriage. I'm dealing with this stuff right now with my kids. Let's talk about it. Let's go to the word together. Let's pray about it. That's why God has created the church. And when things begin to escalate, we come to the elders and we say, hey, listen, things in our family are a little out of whack. We need some help to navigate these waters because we're not seeing eye to eye. This is what God has designed for us. And what I love about this story is that even though they are stiff-necked people. And even though they just literally worshiped a golden piece of metal over God who has brought them through the wilderness, what does God say? Okay, my presence will go with you. Do you desire the presence of the Lord? In our heartache, 
in the deepest part of our brokenness, God is there. In our celebration, in our uh, hanging out with family this Christmas holiday season and, and opening up presents, God is there. The, the sovereignty of God means that he is everywhere. But will we even recognize and realize he is there? When we experience hurt and pain and addiction, we have to remember that God has not left us or forsake us. He is present. That is the gift that we get to celebrate this Christmas season. And I hope and I pray that for all of us, we would be intentional in pursuing him because he loves us. He wants to know us and he wants us to know him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I know that um, sometimes even reading these things, it's hard to picture how it plays out in our lives when things can be crazy. When, when we're working 40, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, when we're exhausted, when we're, when we're dealing with uh, family dynamics and relationships, when we're dealing with um, past hurts, when we're dealing with um, trying to live up to a standard that we see on social media that is unrealistic, when we're, we're trying to navigate the waters of politics and the waters of uh, COVID and when we're suffering, God. It's so difficult to, to be fully aware that you are there with us. But God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, in our hurt, in our loss, in our brokenness, in our pain, that we would have a realization because of the work of your spirit that you are there. And I pray that you would do a work, God. I pray that we would begin to remember all of the promises that we see in scripture that are ours. All of our promises have their yes in Jesus. So God, that you are faithful, that you are holy, that you are blameless, that you are righteous, that you are a protector, that you are a comforter. God, that we would hear those promises and that we would receive those promises that you are who you say you are and that we would trust you and you alone. Not our government, not our politics, not our wisdom, not our ability to research things on the internet, but God, that we would trust you and that we would spend more time with your word than we would with Fox News and CNN that we would spend more time in community with one another than going out and just trying to have fun at Disney. God, I pray that we would enjoy a relationship with you and your church, because God, you say in scripture that you died for your church, your bride, the people of God. And so I pray, God, that we would plug into biblical, real, authentic community with one another, that we would be transparent, that we would be vulnerable, that we wouldn't put masks on and try to act like we have it all okay. But that when we hurt, we would hurt with our friends. When we have pain, we would experience that pain with our friends. When we, when we experience loss, that the church would surround us because that's what you have called us to do, to be, because that's what you have done for us. And in our loneliness and in our brokenness, I pray you would wrap your arms around us 
and that we would feel the God of all peace. And that you would give us rest. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have to meet here. And I pray that this would be a place that your name would be made great. In Jesus' name.